This is the St. Longinus' Baptism podcast channel. This will be episode number 38, Why the Blessed Virgin Mary Matters, subtitled, The Doctrine of the Virgin Mary for Beginners. Since this is going to be dedicated to the Blessed Mother, I thought it would be appropriate to do a prayer to her immaculate heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Queen of my heart, suffer me to offer my own miserable heart to you. I beseech you by the ineffable goodness of your admirable heart to employ the entire strength of the power of God has given to you to crush and destroy in my heart at any and all cost all that displeases your divine son. Establish in me the sovereign empire of his heart with your own. May these two hearts, which are one and the same, same reign within me unceasingly, sovereignly, and forever for the greater honor and glory of the most blessed Trinity. In Jesus' name I pray. Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. Amen. That last prayer 
was from St. John Udy's The Admirable Heart of Mary. And just to let everyone know, I'm going to list, obviously these are going to be Catholic authors, um, and more to the point, these are Catholic saints. So they are considered friends of God by the Catholic Church, but their writings on the Virgin Mary and her importance and her son's salvific plan. I don't have any notes for this. I'm going to basically be going off of my head. And should anyone uh, decide to ask me a question or have a, you know, have a topic about the Virgin Mary that they want done, I will do this more in depth. But I just, I, um, I felt led to this particular topic and it's, it's been a topic that I've been meaning to talk about. And through divine providence, through God's divine providence, um, he led me to do this one today. So, for those of you who are Protestant, I'm sure that you've heard the old, the old accusation that we Catholics worship Mary. Oh, we worship her. And when I was a Protestant, because I was one at one time, I didn't necessarily hold that particular uh, prejudice against Catholics. However, I felt like she got more attention, more attention than Lord Jesus. And when I became a member of the Vatican II sect, I began to understand the Catholic devotion to Mary. But because the Vatican II sect is pretty much Protestant, I was never taught her importance in, in being a Catholic. And when I decided to become a true Catholic last year, obviously I did a lot of reading and with the help of uh, some set of a contest podcasts, I understood just how, well, it was through God's uh, Lord Jesus is in the blessed mother's graces and blessings that I became more aware of just how important mother Mary is in her son's salvific plan. So for the sake of the uninitiated, I'm going to try to keep this as simple as I can and try to keep it out of the weeds and Lord willing, keep it, to under an hour. So, for you Protestants out there, in the in, in in the very first chapter of Luke, Saint Luke, sorry, Protestant habits die hard. Saint Luke, Mary is praying in her room, and she is a virgin. And she's praying, and the Abra- the angel Gabriel comes to her. Now, for all you uh, Protestants that Bible alone, well, the, the angel Gabriel exists because he's in the Bible, according to your logic, which it is, but your logic falls short. Anyway, what does he tell 
this virgin, who according to most Protestants is just an ordinary woman with no special graces, no special nothing. Um, you know, she's an ordinary woman that after she had Jesus, she had other kids, and she's nothing special. What is this angel? Now, remember, the angels are only second to God in the celestial hierarchy. Okay? They're second to God. Humans are a distant third, even though the angels are meant to pray for us and to guide us and lead us, that we are still a distant third place in, in the celestial hierarchy. And by the way, for, um, for, for human beings that are less than heroically sanctified, the ones who are heroically sanctified are above regular, just pious and devout Catholics. Sorry, Protestants. I'm not going to say you're Christians. You're not. Not by any stretch. Um, this isn't me being mean. This is a matter of charity. Unless you challenge your belief system, you're never going to understand that you are practicing an error. So this is not me being mean, no matter how it may sound. Anyhow, so this angel comes to, according to the Protestants, this mere human being who happens to be a virgin. And what are the first words out of his mouth? Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Read the first chapter of St. Luke if you think I'm lying. That Those were the first words out of Gabriel's mouth. Now, for an one of the reasons why Lucifer rebelled against God was because he thought it was not, not just the fact that he was envious of God, and wanted to be the big man, but also because he thought it was beneath his dignity and station to quote-unquote serve human beings by leading them and uh, uh, guarding them. And so a lot of Protestants will tell you, well, this angel was doing what he was supposed to do. He was guarding her and he was leading her. Let me tell you something. Angels are still angels. In that time period, for a celestial being to say to a mere mortal, hail, was unthinkable. It still is. Not even the saints, and once again, heroic sanctity. I will cover the saints in a later podcast. But it is unthinkable that an angel, second only to God, would go to a mere human and say, Hail, full of grace. Now, because a, a Protestantism consists of, well, you read the passage and you decide for yourself what it means. And, and the fact that Protestants don't understand what real grace is. When, when he says full of grace, he's not talking about your Protestant conception of grace. He's talking about God's conception. And what he is telling her is, is she has found grace with God. I will get into... I will get into what this angel meant by when he said full of grace or what he, exactly he meant by grace. And she tells, uh, I, I believe in Luke, she does tell him. If she doesn't in Luke, in Matthew, she tells him, well, oh, I'm sorry. 
So after he tells her that, he said, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you will conceive by him. So, and I do realize there are Protestants who don't believe in the Trinity and, well, don't know what to tell you people, but for you Protestants that do um, recognize the, the doctrine of the Trinity, that means three distinct persons in one God. So one of the persons of God was going to come inside of her and put the second person of the Holy Trinity inside of her. Now, this is going to bring me to the particular sticky wicket that the Protestants have because they've been ill-educated and misinformed, and basically they get to believe whatever they want anyway, so it's a crapshoot, but... Um, in order, now, I know that in certain churches, because I, I, with 40,000 different brands of Protestantism, 40,000 different opinions, but in the churches that I went to, it was stressed to me that you could not get into heaven with any kind of sin on you. And that is true, by the way. God cannot stand any spot blemish. It's, it's stated in both the Old and New Testaments. He cannot stand any stain of sin. So, according to the Protestant understanding of that passage, the Lord Jesus was going to be inside of a sinful woman's stomach. Okay? Because a lot of Protestants, because they're, they're basically, as one set of contests put it, making it up as they go along. I'm not going to be the uncharitable, but basically they are, they're going according to their own understanding. Um, they think that, well, the Lord Jesus, she was a virgin, therefore, you know, um, she was pure in the physical state. Yes. But this is, this is a misapprehension on the nature of sin. Sin isn't just having, um, lost your virginity before marriage. That's not, that's not your sin. Any good Protestant preacher will tell you that. Sin is basically what it boils down to is what is called uh, the sin of Adam, which was disobedience to God. And all human beings, I repeat, all human beings have this sin. So Mary might have been pure from the sexual standpoint, but if she had been a regular human being, she still wouldn't have been freed from the sin of Adam. Which, you know, follow the logic here. Try to follow along with me. God himself cannot be, have, be in, in front of, around any kind of sin. So she'd been an ordinary human, she wouldn't, or I'm sorry, if she had been an ordinary human being, I mean, she was human, yes, but if she had the stain of Adam in her, there's absolutely no way Jesus could have been in her womb because he's God. God can't stand sin. Now, this brings me to the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. And basically, this, this is as simple as you're ever going to get of an explanation for the Immaculate Conception of Mary, that when Mary was born of her own mother, now her own mother had 
the stain of original sin. But this is why the angel told her, try to follow me here, at the beginning, hail full of grace. What he meant by full of grace was God had freed her for this particular purpose from the stain of original sin. Because, bear with me now, try to follow me. The the mother of Jesus could not have the stain of original sin on her soul. She had to be pure in everything. And that that's why Adam fell from grace was because he was born like Mary without original sin. But when he disobeyed God, he cursed mankind. He cursed mankind by his disobedience. She couldn't have that stain on her soul if she was going to carry our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why the angel addressed her full of grace because God, and by the way, that's the ultimate grace for a human being to be born without that stain of original sin. So basically the angel tells her, The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and he's going to put the second person of the most blessed Trinity in your womb. But you will remain a virgin. You will remain pure. Now, the whole Trinity, that prayer I just gave you, that is why at the end of the prayer, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus, he dedicates it, St. John Eudes, dedicates it to the Holy Trinity because God the Father made her without the stain of original sin for the express purpose of carrying Lord Jesus and being his mother and the Holy Ghost was the one who put Lord Jesus in her stomach or her womb. I'm sorry. Okay? Okay. Does this sound simple? So, um, she was born without the stain of original sin. Now, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent. Try to hang with me here because this is going to make things a lot easier to understand. In Catholic prayers and in Catholic theology, Mother Mary is sometimes referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. Now, since some Protestants don't read their Bible, um, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant carried God in it. And that's why it had to be made to certain specifications. And if you read, I believe it's in the book of Leviticus, there there was an injunction that nobody could touch the ark. I think except for the high priest of Israel uh, on the most sacred Jewish uh, holy day. I think it's the day of atonement, but uh, my Jewish theology isn't what it should be. But he could only, you know, he was the only one who could even touch it and was on one certain day and the holiest day out of the Jewish religious calendar. And there's actually an example of what happened when a regular human being accidentally, he didn't even do it on purpose, touched the ark, which held God's presence. Um, they were carrying the ark. I don't know if it was, uh, to the temple, the, the, the newly built temple, or if they were bringing it out against their enemies. Cause they did that in the old Testament, they would bring it out so that God would give them the power to overcome their enemies. I'm not sure which it was, but somebody, oh, and that's another thing too. It had to be carried by two poles because you couldn't touch it. 
So that's, that's how holy it was. It was so holy you couldn't touch it. Well, one of the guys holding one of the poles either fell down or tripped or something, and the ark was going to fall onto the ground, and one of the, uh, I think it was a priest, it could have been just a regular uh, Hebrew, he, he went to grab it to keep it to, from touching to the, from hitting the ground. And as soon as he touched it, he dropped dead on the spot. And it was totally on accident. He didn't do it on purpose. He was actually trying to be pious because you don't want the ark containing the essence of God to hit the ground. God killed him anyway because he was not holy enough. You know, God had certain preconditions and he didn't meet any of them. And when he touched it, he died. Now, there's a reason I'm bringing this story up. I guarantee you this is not, this is not me going off on a tangent. There's a distinct purpose, like everything I do, for bringing this up. The Blessed Virgin Mary is called in Catholic, like I said, in Catholic prayers and um, and certain teachings, the Ark of the Covenant. Number one, because she carried Jesus Christ, who is God, in her womb. Jesus Christ is God. So in that way, she mirrored the Ark of the Covenant. But number two, number two, because she was out this without the stain of original sin, she had to stay that way. Meaning that Joseph couldn't have kids with her. Joseph could... She had, she had to be as pure as Adam was supposed to be. And she couldn't indulge in what regular human beings do, such as have kids. Um, you know, she, she couldn't be touched with sin. And because she was born without the stain of original sin... Um, Eve, uh, let, let's, let's just give the Protestants their little, uh, theology there that she had kids. The minute that Joseph tried to have kids with her, he would have dropped that on the spot because she was, she literally had the essence of God in her. Okay. But. You know, um, to have kids, that part of having kids, by the way, is um, one of the, one of the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, one of the curses of original sin. That you have kids and child childbirth is very painful. I've had girlfriends. I've had a wife. They've all assured me that having kids is the most painful experience they've ever been through. Now, all the Catholic fathers and doctors of the church, and you got to remember some of the fathers wrote about the Blessed Mother Less, less than a hundred years after the death of the last apostle. They said that her childbirth was painless. And it had to be. It had to be. Because she had a fully formed human baby come out of her womb through... Um, warning here, this, this may offend some, her hymen, her hymen was intact after she had Jesus. Just 
Stay with me here. Use your critical thinking skills. Even the Bible agrees that she was still a virgin. Well, I take that back. I, I, I overstepped there. The Bible doesn't implicitly state that she remained a virgin. However, the Catholic Church taught from the um, after Mary got assumed into heaven, the the doctors and the fathers of the church all taught that she remained a virgin. And just try to stay with me here. I know I went off on a little tangent. I apologize. If she is like the Ark of the Covenant, not only would she have remained a virgin, she she couldn't have normal human relationships with anybody because she literally was carrying the essence of God in her. And for all you Protestants, because I bumped into this one a lot, well, it says in the Bible that she had, uh, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. First of all, anybody who's, who's read about the history of Joseph knows that he was a widower when he had Mary. Uh, I'm sorry, when he married Mary. My bad. When he married Mary, he was a widower. So he had kids from that, from that marriage. Secondly, and this is easily verifiable, but you know, I've heard, you know, the, uh, the real ignorant Protestant preachers on YouTube say, oh, well, oh, oh, they're lying when they say that, uh, in, in, in Greek that cause are actually, they took it from the Hebrew and they made it into Greek. But basically, these Protestant preachers claim that the word for brother or cousin, I'm sorry, for the word brother and sister, that it was mistranslated by the Catholic Church so that we could make up this whole theology about Mother Mary. You know... These guys are actually embarrassing themselves and they don't even realize it, but I'm not going to get off on that tangent. The word in Hebrew for brother and sister can also be used for cousins. Okay? And because the Bible... This is why studying the church fathers and doctors of the church, especially the early ones, if you're a Protestant, will help you understand that you, you've been misled because Joseph's kids from his, from his uh, previous marriage would have been Jesus's stepbrothers and stepsisters. So there's that. And then, like I said, the whole cousins bit could be, uh, it could be in Hebrew, they, they call them brothers and sisters. All right. Um, now, I'm not going to get into the doctrine of the Assumption of Mary. Because basically, I just want to explain the theology or the doctrine of Mary is in basic and simple terms as I can. And I'm already halfway to an hour, so I need to try to help you understand. When Mary gave the rosary to St. Dominic, in the 1200s, this was 300 years before the founder of your theology was even born. And it is attested, not just by St. Dominic, that she appeared to him. She also appeared to other saints 
To St. Simon's stock, she gave the brown scapular. She has appeared at previous times. And I, I know, I know, you Protestants don't want to hear this. She appeared after Martin Luther founded your theology. Okay? She appeared in uh, Lima, I think it's, well, Quinta, Quinta, I think, Ecuador, to a nun. She appeared to a French nun in the 1830s. She appeared to a, uh, a French uh, shepherdess who later became a nun. And that's what gave us Lords, the, the healing waters of Lords, which, by the way, has never been disproven. Um, and she appeared to two uh, French shepherd kids in, the, I want to say, the 1840s. And they stuck by their story. And the secular authorities were getting, trying to get them to admit they lied. They stuck to it, to death. And then, of course, we have Fatima in 1917. And, you know, I've, I've talked with a former atheist friend of mine. And, you know, it was obvious that he had a closed mind and he never read below the surface. He kept trying to say that there was a natural explanation for everything that occurred over the, I believe it was um, three days of Fatima. But Mother Mary appeared to the three Fatima kids six weeks before the miracle of Fatima even happened. But my point in saying this is if you do not understand why Mary is so important in God's salvific plan then only by the grace of God and his blessed mother are you going to be able to get to heaven. I mean, everything, everything that I know I owe to both of them and the heavenly kingdom. Because I, it wasn't until last year that I fully, oh, well, not fully. I dimly understand her importance. But I don't think I'll fully understand unless I'm I'm uh, blessed to get to heaven. But basically, oh, to my Protestant friends, she, you know, if if you're Bible only, she she prepared Jesus' first miracle in the book of John. That was the wedding at Cana. That was his first public miracle. Now, she, you know, if she were an ordinary human being, she would have thought he was an ordinary human being, right? Right? But she told the wine steward, do what he tells you. Do what he tells you. And Jesus told his mother, he said, it's not my time yet. And she still told the wine store, she said, do what he tells you. And he did the miracle anyway. Now he told his mother, you know, I can't do this, my time. But his mother, you know, she gave the order. Now, if she were just an ordinary human being, without any special gifts or graces from God, why would Jesus have even listened to her? Okay? Just take that thought to its logical conclusion. Another thing is, too, after Jesus was crucified, this is in the book of Acts, and in one of the first three chapters, when the disciples 
I'm sorry, the apostles, well, the apostles and the disciples were all in the upper room praying. It specifically mentions Mary. Oh, Mother Mary. My bad. I'm sorry, Mother Mary. It specifically mentions Mother Mary. Now, if she were just an ordinary human being, why would it mention her? Why would it mention her? I mean, she's just an ordinary human being. She had kids with Joseph. Why would it mention her? She wasn't a disciple and she wasn't an apostle, according to the Bible, that you claim that, you know, you follow. So why did it mention her? And it mentions her by name. Now, it also mentions the other two or three Marys, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary Clophus, and another Mary. But it mentions her in particular. It says, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, to make it as simply as I can, It is, I won't say it's a matter of Protestant theology, because like I, once again, I, I can't help but pointing out, there's 40,000 different brands of it. But some Protestant theology acknowledges that, yes, Jesus dispenses graces. But here's the thing. This is why it's important. Why recognizing Mary as the mother of God and her importance to Jesus's salvific, salvific plan is because, and by the way, this is not something that was made up. This has been the teaching since Mary got assumed into heaven. It may not have gotten written down until the first century, but it was the teaching from the apostles themselves, that God gives her the graces to distribute as she wishes. Okay? This is why, for you younger Protestants out there, if you are laboring under the delusion that Mary is just an ordinary woman, why... The also uh, younger type of Catholics, and they're not necessarily even true Catholics, but they understand well enough to say, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, his, his mother was with him throughout, you know, throughout the, the, the trials that he went through when, when he got when he went to Jerusalem to be crucified, when he went for his Calvary, she was there every, you know, on his way to Calvary, you know, but you're saying she's just an ordinary woman. Now, in order to make this point, if you read your Bible, all the apostles had deserted Jesus when Judas betrayed him, all of them. Now, Peter, to his credit, he did, he went into the outer courtyard to see what was happening, but he denied Jesus three times. Okay? St. John ran away. Now, he came back after the crucifixion, but he ran away. All of the apostles ran away, but Mary... She accompanied Jesus on his walk to Calvary and she stayed there with him. And she was there in the upper room when they were praying for the Holy Ghost. These are in your Bible. Now, the apostles were literal friends of Jesus's. And they ran away, but his mother didn't. 
if you can't draw the connection to her special graces, nothing I say in this podcast is going to change your mind. Now, there's an added... I'll try to make this as simply simple as possible. When Israel first had kings, you know, Saul, David, and all that, the it is noted in the Old Testament that the queen sat on his right-hand side. And that basically, if you wanted to petition the king, you had to talk to the queen first. What a lot of Protestants seem to be ignorant of... Um, and I'm trying to be charitable here, is that the queen that's mentioned in the Old Testament was not the king's wife. She was called the princess. The queen was the queen's, I'm sorry, the queen was the king's mother. And so if you wanted to petition the king for anything, anything at all, You had to ask the mother. You had to go through the mother. You couldn't just walk up to the king and say, Oh, hey, King David. Hey, hey, my my neighbor is uh, stealing my produce from my fields. Can you help me out? You had to take it to the mother. You had to go through the mother first. Well, since the, the, the concept of kingship is based on God's kingship, why would why would the secular example be any different from the heavenly one? Is what I'm asking you. Why would it be different? It wouldn't. It would take a great case of denial or a obstinate refusal to look the truth in the face to acknowledge they wouldn't be different because God has made everything. He's designed everything. So, to sum up as best as I can do it, the reason why Mary is important to your relationship with Jesus, vital, as a matter of fact, vital, as I said earlier, um, I think it would only be a grace of God and his blessed mother that a person would be allowed into the heavenly kingdom without paying his mother proper homage. And just to further hammer home my point, do you think... That if an Israel, uh, a Hebrew, or heaven forbid, uh, a Gentile of some sort, insulted King David's mother, or Solomon's mother, or any of the king's mothers that came after them, that they would get jack squat from that king outside of maybe being put to death on the spot? Just something to think about. Nobody, even the most, well, I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. And quite frankly, with Protestants, it's, it's not possible. There's many flavors of Protestantism. I don't know, but there's a lot of them. But at, uh, most people, if they consider themselves Christian, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king. And if Jesus Christ is king and his kingship is based or the the concept of the Hebrew kingship is based on his kingship, then if you're not willing to acknowledge his mother who he, he, he doles out the graces to her to give to whoever she wants to, 
Okay? Not to mention the fact that, you know, spiritually speaking, the Holy Holy Ghost is her spouse, her husband, and God the Father was the one who chose her to be Jesus' mother. That's another thing, too. God's the author of time and space. And before all that, he chose Mary to be Jesus's mother and the Holy Ghost's Holy Ghost spouse. But yet you get some Protestants out there talking at best, they call her an ordinary human being. At worst, they try to compare her to a pagan goddess. Now, for my Protestant friends out there, I just want to remind you of something. You may not be aware, you may be ignorant, but in your Bible, it states implicitly, New Testament, that you will have to give account for every deed, every word, and every thought that you ever did while you were on earth. And if you're still laboring under the false Lutheran theology that Oh, you could do whatever you want to, and God's just going to say, yeah, it's cool. We're good. I I would sincerely look into that, the, the basis of that theology, because let's just say you hang on to that theology till, till you die, and you go before God, and he tells you, yeah, yeah, you know that Lutheran theology you were following while you were on earth? It was wrong. Just something to think about. So that's basically why Mary is important with your relationship to Jesus. And it's as simply as I can put it. And I'm not eloquent, you know, um... I'm 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 not, you know, I'm not uh uh oh there was that TV bishop back in the fifties. Um the the Neo Trads in the set of pretty much love him. Um I forget his name, but the guy was known for being a very eloquent guy. I'm not that dude. And for the Protestants out there, I'm not uh Shoot, there's a famous uh famous Protestant pastor. Um now I'm not talking about um the the wealth the wealth and health prosperity preacher who he's a young guy and he's very, very famous. I'm not talking about him. There's another one. Uh John MacArthur, I wanna say. I'm not Pastor John MacArthur. I'm just a very Oh, uh, ill-educated, um, not eloquent person trying to do the will of God as best as he knows how. So in closing, what I want to tell you guys is, if you made it this far, I really appreciate you listening. I really do. If you spent 50 minutes with me, I appreciate it. And I... I truly hope and pray that some people get something out of this particular episode. And a lot of people will probably say that I wasn't very nice or charitable. The only thing I can say to that is it's Catholic teaching that we must tell the truth and educate those who may be ignorant of their errors to not tell them to not educate them or not let them know that they are an heir is it's it's considered actually a sin against charity anyhow i am praying for everyone within the sound of my voice and who come into contact me indirectly or directly I would like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. Thank you for listening. God bless you.
Bye-bye.